This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. The score! This hour is brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto. Online at CarX.com. Dan Weederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players, guys that have to materialize into who they thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. Matt has pounded it home from the day he took the job with the hits principle and the acronym there and just saying repeatedly, we are going to be an effort-based football team. Dan Weederer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. We talk football with Dan Wiederer on Mondays during football season. So here he is. He joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And he is also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Well, Dan, before we get into our Bears-connected stuff about these teams, because there are there's a lot to, to discuss in that regard, what, did you, what was your football watching day like? Well, well, I'm really eager, first of all, to see this uh, this Bengals and uh, 49ers Super Bowl that I projected going into the weekend. I've been all over the playoffs, just getting all these games right, right on, right on point. Um, yesterday, fortunately, I did not get a chance to watch a, a good chunk of the second half of the NFC Championship game. Perfect. Uh, we had a baseball workout. That was the half of, of football that you wanted to miss, and and so I caught up on a little bit of it this morning, and then obviously watched uh, the other two very closely. Uh, where uh, the second game in the first half of the first game, uh, and yeah, a, a lot of a lot of takeaways from both games. I know you've mentioned it a couple times this morning, and just um, when you watch these games with a ten-year-old and he's complaining about all the calls, and your, your parental instinct is to say, "Stop, stop complaining about the referees." And ninety percent of the time, you're going, uh, "You know, you're right about that one. That was awful." And, and the NFL's got to do something because there's too many high profile moments that are being decided by calls that everyone's scratching their head about. And and in these types of games, you just can't afford that. Yeah, it was all of it was kind of clunky and didn't have a real rhythm to it. I was wondering what you took away from what the Eagles were able to do, considering, you know, Jalen Hurts didn't have a great day. It wasn't like things went great for them, but they still dominated that game. Lawrence, it's what they've done all year. And it's just this, this, learning lesson that if you're really, really sturdy in the trenches, you don't have to be brilliant uh, in the playmaking aspect of the game because you've, you've bought yourself a margin for error and they've just been so solid. And I remember when the, they were coming to play the bears in December and just doing some work on the way they get after the passer and, and the way is really plural that they do and the number of guys that they can send to make life uncomfortable and you see it all year long, and obviously you saw it yesterday in ways that <laughs> caused two quarterbacks to leave the game, right? Because of the pressure that they were getting, and it's just it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to watch that chess match against 
Andy Reid and, and obviously one of the best quarterbacks to ever play because we know when Patrick Mahomes lost his Super Bowl that when he was heated up all afternoon against the Bucs a couple of years ago, he couldn't handle it, and the, and the Chiefs offensive line was a little less stable at that point. But the Eagles are just so damn sound in the trenches that it, it's really allowing them to do some things that, that are pretty impressive. When you look at the way that the Eagles are built, I, I know that the Bears can't do it exactly the way that they did it, <laughs> yeah. but it, what are the things that you hope that they do try to emulate from what the Eagles have built over the last four seasons? Yeah, look, like that, that, that last part of your question is the most important over the last four seasons, right? Because you're not going to be able to go get an offensive line like they have right now, plus two game-breaking wide receivers in your receiving course, plus a, a really good tight end overnight. And I think that's what Ryan Poles continues to emphasize is that there is a stair-step approach to this and you have to be patient and disciplined not to try to fix it all at once. And so you got to be kind of calculated in an offseason where you're going to have a lot of opportunities and a lot of openings to make things happen. But I, I, I think for me, it is just start with getting your quarterback comfortable and do so in a way where you solidify your offensive line in a way where you take away the the impulse to run at all all costs, and 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 you you get a quarterback that understands how to be able to be comfortable and scan within there to find what's there for him, and to just take the game as it comes. One of the things that Jalen Hurts has done all season is he just hasn't made a lot of game changing mistakes. A couple of them that he made were against the Bears in December when they were a little bit rickety and not playing their best offensive football. But outside of that, just the the, the ability to eliminate those drive-changing, game-changing mistakes has been really impressive, and I think it just starts with that comfort level that you have with the guys in front of you. I think it's really cool that two of the guys that were instrumental in building these teams now work yeah. for the Chicago Bears. I, 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 I'm, I know you've got a, probably a big story about that in the hopper because it would be a natural. Give Weeder 4,000 words! <laughs> so what, is is it, what does it mean? Yeah, it, it won't be that big, but I, I'm literally uh, just putting the finishing touches on an analysis piece this morning that, that you know, like Ryan got to Kansas City before they were any good. You know, his first four years are, are with Scott Pioli. Uh, you know, Todd Haley doesn't make it to the end of his third season as the head coach. They don't really get anything going. And then it's when they united with Andy Reid and John Dorsey came back in there and, and, and really got those wheels turning in the right direction. And you see what they've done over the last 10 years and you say, if you're building a model, the Chiefs are the model, right? I mean, they've won seven consecutive division championships. They, you know, they're, they're, they're playing on conference championship Sunday every single year. And Ryan watched that be built step by step by step. And like my pushback to anyone that says, well, yeah, obviously they did so because they got, you know, the engine of this for the last five or six years has been this generational talent at quarterback. Don't forget that the the the, the day that the, the Kansas City Chiefs united with Patrick Mahomes, they woke up with the number 27 overall pick in the draft. Okay. So that like they had a vision for who this kid was and who he could become. And they aggressively sought it out and they made sure he was theirs. And then they developed him into this guy that's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and may have, you know, a, a handful of rings by the time his playing career is over. And so for Ryan to be behind closed doors there and to, to learn some of the experiences of even just that one draft pick, finding that one guy who was a franchise-changing impact playmaker that you got when you started your day with the 27th overall pick, is a, it's a good lesson within there. But then just also just to understand the entirety of the operation that needs to be solid on the field, off the field, all around, I think is it, it's it's truly good. You know, Dan, you, you bring up the question. I, I did another thing where 
over the last 10 years, if you look at the teams that have had at least five playoff appearances, at least four playoff wins, and at least one stretch of three straight playoff appearances, there's four in each conference, and the Eagles and Chiefs are two of them. And so that tells you a lot about what sustainable achievement is and guys that have been a part of, of seeing how that's built. What did you think of the AFC title game? I hated the ending because it just felt so anticlimactic for the, the flag to be the thing that set up the game-winning field goal. Um, you just felt like you were, you were waiting for, for one of these awesome quarterbacks to make an awesome play that, that changed everything. Well, I mean, I mean, he did though. No, I agree with you. I'm not saying it was a wrong call by the letter of law. It was a flag and this isn't Rams saints from four years ago. And and it's not one of those situations where you kind of lament it. You could kind of see it happening before it happened with Joseph Asai and it just, was kind of cringing on the couch, like, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, no, you just hit him, you know? And then Mahomes, to his credit, sells it and does the the, the massive flop. But all of a sudden, you just, you know, the the, the, the Bengals gave two gifts there uh, with the penalty and then obviously a punt that I, I hated. You know, it was it was just a, a punt right down the middle of the field, not high enough. And if you put that punt in a way where it's got to be fair caught or at least covered for like a, a three-yard return, now you've got 30 seconds and a chance for your defense to really um, challenge Patrick Mahomes. And they weren't able to do it. Um, I will say this also, I thought Joe Burrow looked jittery early and then toward the end of the first half when he got in that groove with T Higgins and and made some of those trust throws and you saw some of those trust throws. And I think it's kind of like one of these chicken or egg things that we have to be kind of conscious of as we look at the bears on when do those trust throws happen? Do they happen because the quarterback just sees it and lets it rip? Or do you need an absolute dynamic playmaker that you trust in order to let that thing go? And that's one of those things with Justin. Both. That, the answer that is both. Measure. Yeah, because it's going to be key in 2023 for Justin to be able to do those on a consistent basis where you just rip it and then you trust that the guy on the other end is going to make a play for you. That's the whole Jamar's down there somewhere. Yeah, and, and, and T. <laughs> right, and, and whether it's it's Stefan Diggs, we were talking about this before, or or Justin Jefferson having – it's one thing to have one of those guys, but man, yeah. I can only imagine what it feels like to know that Kelsey is going to find a way, no matter what the play is called, no matter how it's right. – no matter how you've designed it, he just has this natural ability to gravitate to open space where he knows your eyes are going to be. Listen, Matt Nagy talked about that a lot during his time here as a head coach about how you could draw something up on a, you know, on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper and Kelsey just has the 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 creative artistry to turn it into something else and then when you develop that connection of turning that into something else with a quarterback who knows what you're going to turn it into, now it's unstoppable. And those guys are 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 doing it at a level that that may be unmatchable, but it's certainly really really impressive to watch. I love Joe Burrow. And even <laughs> even as a guy that did stomped a mud hole in Alabama, I was like, man, that dude has has got the thing, man. Like he can. How long can they keep doing this to him with their offensive line issues? Like it's funny, like oh, that he got sacked nine times and he won a game, but at some point that becomes very dangerous and unsustainable. And considering the money that they're going to have to shell out for him and his two wide receivers, how are they going to go uh, go and address this? Well, that you know that's why you strike when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, and then you have to have people in positions that understand what your priorities are. The Chiefs let go a all-pro, absolute firework receiver, and we all thought they were going to take a step back, and they only got better offensively. And so, if you're able to find a model 
where you can, again, build your offensive line and create that sturdiness and then just replace a Tyreek Hill with a, a <laughs> you know, however they did it. That's that's one of the magic acts of the 2022 football season that somebody's going to have to do a deep dive on on how they how they continue to have that success losing a guy who's that dynamic because that's going to be something that these other teams have to keep an eye on as they go forward. You're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, <clears throat> You're going to have to page him, our chase. You're going to Wait, have to we'll give to- you a minute. We'll give you a minute. We are talking with Dan Weeder of the Chicago Tribune, and here are the score. And you can check out the piece that he's getting ready to write about Ian Cunningham and Ryan Poles and their effect on what's happened with Kansas City and the Philadelphia Eagles. See what that was? That was the radio equivalent of an umpire realizing the catcher had just taken a foul tip off the shoulder <laughs> and he is the, the professional courtesy to walk out and do a slow, exaggerated cleaning of home plate. They got to see it. Right. It you kind know. of felt like I took a foul ball right off the esophagus there. I don't know what happened there. It was like the remnants of an RX bar from two hours ago. Got, <laughs> got, got, got caught down there in the trachea. Very joke. But, you, you know, you're going to have to pay, uh, you know, T. Higgins. You're going to have to try to – you're obviously going to have to pay Chase, and then you're going to have to figure out what to do with T. Higgins. They're going to have to figure out what that formula is for them going forward because Joe Burrow is now going to be uh, in, in line for an extension here, and you're going to pay him really, really soon, and that's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, and you're going to have to figure out how to allocate resources otherwise. I think it's pretty amazing that the Eagles are back in the Super Bowl with a different coaching regime. With with every, everything we go through here and how long things take here, <laughs> that they're they're back and it's a different coach. That's pretty incredible. Within five years, yes, right. I mean, that, it's it's crazy, and and it, yeah, I, and obviously, I think you know, you, I think you have eight guys still on the roster that were part of that team five years ago. Um, but they've done a terrific job. It's a testament to Howie Roseman and his ability to create stability within that that program. And again, you mentioned Ian Cunningham coming from Philadelphia earlier. Hopefully you learn lessons through osmosis from being there of understanding how do you to create that stability across the building and in a way that allows you to not have these two and a half decade long slumps like we always have here in Chicago. Like just get it back on track and then get it back to a high level. And, and I don't think anyone saw this for Nick Sirianni when he was hired. That wasn't a hire where everyone was like, ah, that's it right there. It was quite um, the opposite. No, it was like after his, that first press conference. Wow. Like, oh my God, this guy's a blithering idiot. Right, right. And, and and here we are right now. He's going to Glendale with a chance to to be on the Super Bowl stage. I'll tell you another, another little subtle storyline from yesterday that I think is worth just pointing out and we can def- figure out how much to make of it is just kind of how the Chiefs have uh, propped up Julie Freimeyer. And I'm not sure if you guys caught any of this, but but Mahomes mentioned her and the, the organization mentioned her as being sort of instrumental in the rehab in a one-week span of getting Patrick Mahomes' twisted, banged-up, sprained, high ankle sprain in a position to be able to play. And, and Dan, you asked me last week about, you know, what can a team president do to impact things that are on the field? Well, part of it is making sure that you've got people across your organization that are the best at what they do. And if you have somebody that that is really, really good at their profession and can then take a what, what everyone thought would be a, a few-week injury and get a guy capable of playing at a winning level on a championship stage, it's history changing. And so you get like a dozen to two dozen to three dozen people that, like that in your organization and you see how those wheels turn. Um, I'll give you a personal anecdote that it reminded me of when I was covering college basketball in 2009. Uh, Ty Lawson, right before the ACC tournament, got injured in practice, got pushed into the, the basket stand and, and injured his toe like really, really bad. And they were like, oh, no, we might miss him for the first weekend of the tournament. And they had uh, they went to Atlanta for the ACC tournament and had a connection to their strength coach give 
all this therapy and they, they spent like three days in Atlanta with Ty Lawson getting this, this elaborate therapy and pool work and other stuff on his toe. And he was able to play in the first weekend of the tournament and actually rescued them in a second round game that ended up being sort of that rescue game that then pushes you to a championship. And you see how these little things turn into big moments down the road. And so, I, again, I'll just say her name again. Julie Freimeyer is someone in Kansas City that they're propping up as, as someone who did a, a amazing work in getting Patrick Mahomes ready for yesterday. As someone who's covered this league as long as you have, what's it like to watch Patrick Mahomes, knowing that you watch every single quarterback around the league and you watch what he does and you go, oh, my God, Like, look at what he can do. Yeah, well, it's, you know, there's obviously God-given physical talent. There's this beautiful creative artistry that he has. And then there's just this underrated competitive fire and passion that anybody that's been around him talks about. And like, I, I just, I don't think he gets enough credit for that because even even that five-yard scramble on a bum angle at, at the end of the game, that's like, that's like it stuff there. You know what I mean? That's That's icon stuff where... You're just going to do whatever it takes to get your team that victory. And Lawrence, I think it's like, you know, you marvel at it and then you look at it through the lens that we're looking at it through Chicago and you understand that the Bears on their mini quarterback tour in the spring of 2017 went right from Chapel Hill to Lubbock, Texas and spent a day with Patrick Mahomes. And you would love to see all the notes from that session because obviously they didn't do the evaluation right. And you're wondering how much different would it have been if they made that decision differently? I mean, his his career numbers are impossible. They're stupid. They're impossible. They're impossible. He's played 80 games. He's thrown 192 touchdowns. This is regular season only. He has averaged 303 yards per game. In 80 games, averaging over 300. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, it's it's so next level. They've been in on conference championship Sunday five consecutive years two of their losses, you know, they've won three of those, two of their losses were in overtime. One of them when he didn't get to touch the ball. <laughs> so like, how would you like to have a quarterback where you're just promised last Sunday in January, you're playing and most likely you will not be trailing at the end of regulation. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just... When you looked at like his, his touchdown interception ratio, the passer rating that, and it's so, and remember, this is a guy who's 40 time. And he moves, right? Like, he moves around the pocket. He, he understands how to to elude the rush, sometimes in the pocket, sometimes out of the pocket. He and Peyton Manning had the same 40 time at the combine. Think yeah. about that. Like, the Mahomes and Peyton Manning ran, ran the same 40 time, but he seems so much more elusive. And then you add in all the smarts, and you add in all the arm angles and the arm talent, and you get this unicorn of a quarterback. It's amazing. At, at the owners' meetings last year, I, I remember kind of just a one-on-one session with Ryan Poles, just talking to him about the Chiefs' discovery because he's the you know director of college scouting at the time going into that draft, and saying there were so many things within Patrick's film that you could talk yourself out of. You could say, ah, you know, fundamentally there's things here that are that need to be cleaned up, and they're a little bit worrisome. He makes some really dangerous throws. I don't know, and you could have talked yourself into every single one of his flaws. But that whole brain trust in there with Andy Reid and and Dorsey and Veach and and Ryan Poles and and, and the other people who were in that room said there are other things in here that he does that no one else can do. So let's focus on those and stop worrying about the flaws. And they, they, there was like a a session that Ryan brought up where they they eliminated all of the checkdown throws all the behind the line of scrimmage throws and said, let's just see what's in here. 
And they saw the accuracy. They saw the arm talent. They saw all of the things that, you know, there's interceptions within those, but they're like, oh man, if we can just put him in advantageous situations, he's different. And he's different in a way that can change your franchise. And so again, like they wake up the 2017 draft with the, with the 27th overall pick and they walk out of there with a guy who's, who leads them to, to three Super Bowls in five years. And he's not done. As you mentioned, those numbers aren't stopping anytime soon. Loses his best receiver, continues on. It's, a, it, it, it's an absolutely unbelievable story. And it's got probably 10 chapters left in it. The other conclusion that I drew watching the, the stable of, of backs on Philadelphia, I like fast running backs. Yeah. Call me crazy. You know, maybe it's You're just, crazy. I'm, maybe I'm oh. wild that way, but I know we, we can glorify all of the breaking tackles and running to contact and everything else, and that guy's just a football player. But the whole running away from people thing, I'm, I'm, count me as with that. I, I, I'm with you on that, and I know that like the word speed is said within the walls at 1920 Football Drive like 50 times a day. Like, Good. That's what Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles gravitate towards, and they want speed, speed, speed on, on both sides of the ball. By the way, just in a, in a poor day for the 49ers, how about that touchdown run by Christian McCaffrey while we're talking about Man. running back exploits? That was unbelievable. What's your first blush thought on this Super Bowl? Well, I've been wrong about the last two weeks of playoff games, so I feel stupid saying anything about it. I, I've gotten all of them wrong here the last couple of weeks, um, at least in context. But uh, look, if if the the Chiefs can protect Patrick, you've got a chance. I just I don't know. The, the Eagles just seem so dominant, and I'm I'm waiting for there to be that week where you go, ah, they're not as good as we think they are, and it doesn't come. You know, it just they just keep rolling, they just keep rolling, they just keep rolling. They seem to have that secret sauce. So right now I'm sort of leaning towards the Eagles, which means you probably should get all your money out of your bank account and put it on the Chiefs. Interesting. Yeah, my 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 rule is make your call the moment you know who the combatants are in the Super Bowl. The moment you know the matchup, your your gut instinct is probably going to be right. And then there's just two weeks of everything that by the time the ball is kicked off, no one has any idea what's going to happen. But I think given an opportunity for Kelsey to heal up, given an opportunity for Mahomes to heal up, I, I would have a very, very difficult time not taking the Chiefs. Yeah, and, and there's reasons for that. Now it's just, again, it's like, can they deal with that pass rush? Can they deal with the heat that they're going to get sent? If there's anyone that can deal with it, it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And so um, it's going to be fun. I mean, these are two teams that have been good all darn year. And so it gets to see them play in the final Sunday is going to be fun for everybody. Dan, as always, we appreciate your time. Have a great week of indoor practices and everything else with the baseball, sir. You got it, fellas. Thanks. We'll talk soon. That's Dan Weeder who talks with us on Mondays. When we come back, we had another one of these Bulls wins over the weekend. We're like, oh, they can do that? That that They can make it look like that? And it's all Wait, that. that guy can shoot threes? Who knew? Who would have ever? What show may have maybe mentioned that that might be a direction that they should go in? And it's all against the backdrop of some strange and frankly, totally unsatisfying trade talk. Yeah. The more that the show has gone on and I've been thinking about what we were talking about, the more I'm like, they're doomed. We'll discuss. It's not great. No, it's not, Bob. Next here on The Score. Speed. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. Nice pass underneath to Caruso. To DeRozan, lines up, three ball. Got it! DeMar DeRozan. That's his fifth triple. And for the first time in his career, he's 5 for 5 beyond the arc. Wow. He's got 32. 
God, it looks good when that happens. When you shoot 60%, when you win every quarter, it all looks really good. I didn't see that coming. I really didn't. I, I thought that they were you know, waiting for him again, but they made every shot. Everybody made every shot. And it sure looks nice when it's moving side to side and they were getting good looks because the ball wasn't sticking. Dan, who hit three pointers in this game? Uh, let me check the box score. Uh, three pointers. All right. Patrick Williams had two. Okay, that's good. Vooch I like that. Two. I like when Vooch has a Zach couple of three. Had three. That makes sense. He's their best three point shooter on a regular basis. Rogic came back and had two. Sure, that's great. Even Io made one of the four that he took that were his only shots. I like the fact that he's taking those shots. Anyone De- else? DeMar was five of five. He had an Arby's game? Arby's game. Five for five. First of all, he took five three-pointers and made them all. How about that? How How about that? The Bulls took 35. Yeah. That's the number. Yep. There you go. DeMar took five three-point shots. What have we been asking for? Four. Four Four game. Look at the difference that it makes. Take five, make two. That's all I'm asking. And with Zach, take seven, make three. Or ten. Ten's good, too. Take like 10. Take 10. That would also probably be fine. He, he, Zach was 11 of 18. Vucevic, 11 of 18 from the field. Williams, 7 of 11. That, that's what it's supposed to look like. And I know you're not going to shoot 59% in most games. But so we shrug again and we think, and? And we'll wait for tomorrow's game. And right? What, what connects this to anything in, in another? But they, here's the problem. They did almost blow that lead. They were up twenty five, and it was down to five. But they didn't. They responded. Right. I'm not. Right. I'm not going to condemn them for games that they actually close out. The thing didn't happen again. They were able to shoot the ball. They did all the stuff that you want the Bulls to do in games, including their three point shooting. So I'm not going to get mad at them for for holding on to a game and it being all right. Well, the Clippers are coming to town. For tomorrow, I'll probably be out there. I think I'll do one of those little shorty shows after the afternoon show tomorrow uh, from the UC. I I read Cali like every day uh, because I enjoy Cali, even when he's being a uh, on Twitter. I enjoy him. He wrote a a piece after the Indiana game, and then like the next piece before the game uh, this weekend was a piece about Caruso. And in the game against Indiana, it's all of the things that had had failed the the Bulls in their game against the Pacers. But he was talking about Caruso, and one of the quotes from a source, this isn't from Joe, this is from a source, says he's the culture. Meaning Alex Caruso, not Joe Cowley. Alex Caruso, he's the culture, close quote. I wish he were. Right. It's you know what it's similar to to me? It's similar to the Jose Abreu thing. You have a model that's there. This is the guy that's putting in the extra time. Answers the bell, plays hurt. Right. Plays hard hurt. Right. Play like trying to stretch a double out of a single, even with a bad wheel. You have that example in front of you, and you pay lip service to it. We should all be like Jose. Like we all need to 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 play and fight and scratch and claw like Jose. 
We should all sacrifice like Jose. And then when you're given the opportunity to do so, you don't. And now you're sitting around going, well, who's our leader now? Where's your leader now? You don't have one. With Caruso, I agree that he should be what the Bulls are shooting for. That's the type of day-in, day-out, 48-minute effort that you want to see from your players. A commitment to defense. And Joe made the point of how much better they are with him on the floor defensively. That's exactly what you should be trying to do. But he may also be your best choice to try and get better immediately with a trade. I would love for Alex Caruso to be a bull until the end of his career. But right now, when you start looking at the the Bulls' lack of number one draft picks, and you start looking at where they're at, if, if you're telling me that someone is going to be silly enough to give you two first-rounders for Alex Caruso, oh, congratulations. Wh- two? Th- that's what some of the reports have been. Done. Yes. Oh, done. I'll pack it. I love him, but I'll pack his bags for him. Yes. For two first rounders. And, yes. and, I, and I would what like. What a success story that would be. Right. I would love for him to be the culture. But it doesn't seem like he is. And and what are you, what are you going to do? The trade deadline is in two weeks. What are you going to do? And what can you do? And look, as we were talking about it, I just kind of felt worse and worse. Because if we're at the place where. You can't trade Caruso. Then who can you trade? Who who is it that you're going to be able to trade that is going to give you a little something extra back that you're going to be able to? And where do where are you? It's the same question that we ask all the time about the Bulls. Where are you as a franchise? Where are you until, on your on un, your spectrum to winning? Until they talk at the deadline, we don't know where they think they are. And even then, they're usually so obtuse about it, it's hard to tell. There's an aspect here that I've been thinking about, too, and we're recording the Organizations Win Championships podcast this afternoon, and this is on my list of something I know that we're going to discuss in, in detail. And that is the news that we saw from Julia Poe in the report about Lonzo Ball. It's in today's Tribune, and I just have a question about, about the lead. Okay. The Bulls are creeping closer to shutting down point guard Lonzo Ball for a second straight season. Shutting down. So he was he was hurt. They did a surgery. He recovered. They ramped him up. They they he, are they are wait, ramping him wait, up. Wait, wait. They he didn't recover from that surgery. So they did another surgery. Mm-hmm. He recovered. They tried to ramp him up. And now they're considering shutting all of that down again. It doesn't make me feel good well, about him returning to play basketball well, what, ever. What's next then? That's my first thought. What do you mean shut down now? If after a surgery, a, a, a routine surgery, and what was expected to be a routine recovery, but it just wasn't, and that necessitated the everything we hear, the debridement and the go back in and look and just make sure, okay, here you go, you're fine, let's get this all started again and run in the pool and all that, and now start jumping, and now it's like, nope, stop doing that. Th- this is really scary. To be fair, Billy Donovan has been telling you this whole time. He's still in pain. He's not anywhere close. 
don't expect that he's going to oh, come in. Oh, I haven't been. I, I know, no, I know I, you haven't. Yeah, we listening. both we both have been like, that's come on, like come on. But I, I just like organizationally, since the top brass won't speak, Billy becomes the de facto voice of the Bulls, and the voice of the Bulls, other than Chuck, the voice of the Bulls has told you that he's not coming back. He's hopeful, but he's not in. It doesn't matter if Julia and Joe and Casey see him doing uh, up-downs or whatever, running on a treadmill. It doesn't matter if they see him dunking. But shutting him down to do what? To figure out what's next. They've already had the exploratory procedure because the they couldn't figure out why the first one didn't work and why he was still having pain. And now if they can't figure out why this one didn't work, they got to go back in there probably. If it's not working to the point where he can come back and play basketball comfortably, there has to be a reason or, for it. Or he, let's just say it. Or he's just done playing basketball. I think that that is certainly on the table when you start looking at how long he's been out and how no one seems to have an answer. I'm sure this is hella frustrating for him. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a nightmare. It's torture for him. That he's sitting there going, like, why doesn't my body work? the way that I wanted to? Why is it that I've done these surgeries and it still doesn't work? I'm doing everything they tell me to do in rehab and it still doesn't work. Like, it's, it's, it's you're right, terrifying. Like, that's a good word for it. Which is another reason why you go, all right, if you hadn't already, as the Bulls, said, we've got to move on from this, We've got to help him get better and have a great quality of life. And hopefully, maybe he comes back and plays. We can't look at Lonzo as one of the focal points of our team. No matter what the contract says, you got to throw that out. And you have to look at this pragmatically and say, all right, what are we building in 2023? What are we building towards? Like, what do we care about going into April of 2023? And if you can't say with a surety that you're looking at yourself as a team that can win the championship, then what good does it do bringing this group of dudes back without Lonzo? Because if you shut him down again, you can't start thinking about he'll be available at the beginning of next year. No, 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 no. If, if, if this is over for now... That's why I say shut him down to do what? That's the answer I need. What's the purpose of shutting him down? Right. And so you end up with, all right, well, we need to make some moves. You can't look at a team that's sitting in, in what, the 11th or 12th spot of the Eastern Conference and think they have a chance to win it. Incomplete. Like, if you wanted to give yourself the fantasy of, which the Bulls haven't, but I'm saying, if you wanted to give yourself the fantasy of, man, when Lonzo comes back, if, if Lonzo comes back next year, you're at the end of your deal with DeMar at that point. The end of the deal with Vooch now. What are you doing? Both of those guys, I think, can make good fits for other teams and might be able to help you jumpstart whatever this next thing is going to be. Call it whatever you want. But you made the commitment to Zach. And 
you might have something in Patrick Williams, and you know what trading DeMar would do? Give you a real honest look at it. You know what you could get? You could get 25, 30 games of, hey, P-Will, it's you and Zach now. Go ahead and ball. And then you can find out at the end of it, yep, he's got the thing. He, he is someone that we can rely on and we can build with. And you can get some of those picks back. And that's, that's what you need. That's why the Caruso thing is just so tantalizing. If they right. get two firsts for that, even if they're late first, and 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 they and they've got to restart the developmental piece here. That that my, one of my biggest disappointments is that what was done in Denver and what was done in Toronto of creating found value hasn't happened here yet. That's what I'm, I'm waiting for. That that pipeline to start. Work with guys, make guys better, but build is, guys. But see, that's one of my issues with as I continue to evaluate Patrick Williams, where I'm just stuck on is he not in the right environment because of the type of players, not, of even, not even their attitude, like towards him, because it seems like their attitude towards him is good. You know, yeah, like, did you see when Zach passed it to him on the wing? And he was mad that Patrick gave it up to Vooch. Right. Vooch hit a three. But Zach, it was funny. Because Zach's like, there, that, that was, was his, your shot. That was my assist. That's what it seemed like to me. Like, not only, hey, kid, that's your shot. It's not only is that your shot, you're the guy making it 42% of the time. That was my assist. <laughs> you messed up my, now I got to deal with a hockey assist. Right, which they, don't, which I can't, they don't pay you on. Right? I don't want that. Well, he's already got the money. Had, I know we had some thoughts, some general thoughts about the NFL broadcast yesterday, too. I know we went sort of in, did a deep dive in the idea of the lack of actual sideline reporting, but there was some other stuff going on with uh, with the people involved, too. Yeah, let's discuss the, what we heard yesterday, and uh, I, I think a really tough decision that Fox is going to have to make going forward. It's easy for me. But it might be tough for them, and I think that there's something that they're really hoping happens this offseason that will allow them to do some stuff. I'll explain next. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. All right, let's talk a little bit about the broadcast on both Fox and CBS yesterday. I thought yesterday was a really good day for the analysts. I thought Tony Romo came to play. He sounded prepared Mm -hmm. and on top of his game, I agree. Maybe he heard some of the criticism where it's become a little bit too much uh, slap and tickle. And and it was I thought he did a really good job. I thought he did a good job with the telestrator yesterday and kind of showing you what was going to happen on some of these plays. I think Greg Olson's amazing. And I know that I, I realized when the guys told me that he was like the first guest on the first Bernstein at home show. And it's I covered him. I like Greg a lot, but it's not like that's not what this is. I think he's good. At, at analysis, and he brought us in a little bit when we had him on into his process 
on what a good color guy does. I watch the play live. I, I watch it. So my setup is I have, you know, obviously I'm watching it live from the press box, from the booth. And then on my monitors, I have a regular, like a regular TV cam. It, it would be, in essence, the production cam that you would see at home on the broadcast. Whatever you're seeing on the home broadcast, I have a camera that shows that. Um, and then I also have like a sky cam. And the sky cam is on a little bit of a delay like a three or four second delay. So I can watch the play unfold. I like watching the all 22 with my eyes live. And then based on what happens, I can then confirm on the delay just to make sure I know it was number 52. And he started at Mike linebacker because he had the sack because in those couple seconds, your play by play guys wrapping up his call, they're cueing the, the instant replay on your telestrator and then you know exactly when that telestrator camera comes up, you just confirmed. You saw it live. You confirmed it on the delay. So now when you go live on the telestrator to describe to the viewers at home, you know, why it was a sack or who got beat or whatever, you really are confident and sure where the guy started from, what kind of move he used. So there's a little bit of a process there, both seeing it live and using your monitors as tools, that in those four or five seconds you can piece it together so now when you try to explain it to the viewers, you're very, very confident that what you saw is what happened, and now you can explain it as such. Well, you know what I like about Greg, too, is that he's doing a little more than just analyzing the action. He's adding context. He's giving you clock management stuff. It's also some fan stuff, too, in, in just the right balance, where it used to be the play-by-play guy's job as, as – more and more, he's he's talking about how a game feels and doing a pretty good job of it, of not necessarily as a player, but just talking about the the the, the feel of the rhythm of a game, of the the emotional current of a game. I think he's getting good at that. I agree with you. Let me run something by you. You tell me how possible you think this is, Dan. Fox hires Greg Olson. They think he's going to be good. They don't think he's going to be this good this fast. Therefore, they make this deal with Tom Brady, and they're like, Tom Brady's name will get people into the door. So while Greg Olson is still plying his trade, we'll have this name brand, and then we'll build two good analysts. I think he got better faster than they expected. I also think ultimately the name value is is great for the early sizzle and the early attention. But if you can do the job, you can do the job. Nobody really I mean, there's there's been any number of of really good analysts whose names you wouldn't know from stellar playing or coaching careers. I bet you the people at Fox really want Tom Brady to play football next year. Hmm. They've got their number one analyst. They've got them. And 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 you can see what they're trying. Like, they're trying so hard to shoehorn Gronk into stuff. And it's like, guys, it putting him at the desk is not where he's most effective. I'm being as kind as I can be with that. You want to do produced pieces with him. Yeah, I want to see him doing, like, experiencer stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't have him there with the rest of those guys that know no. how to do this. Gronk's do doing this. Gronk's doing that. Yeah, Gronk challenge. 
I actually, it's funny because, you know, they're doing the, the FanDuel commercial with him, and he's got that kick. And it's funny, like, if you watch as they're going through the Rocky Four like, montage with him, his last kick, I think he's going to, I think he can easily do his, this. His foot's wrong, though. You his, think his, so? His foot's wrong. Yeah, he's still kicking kind of with his toe. Yeah, he's instead still, of instead of a sure. pointed toe instep, it's he's he's got to get that real soccer kick. I think that he's going to get there though. But but yeah, I I look at Fox and I and I know how much money they spent, and I understand wanting to be in business with Tom Brady. You don't have to put him in that chair. You can put him in other like Tom's exactly the dude that you want sitting down with Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's the guy that you send to do that interview. Maybe. Maybe. Right? Like, but at like, least I'm, I'm not talk ready to, to say that yet. I, don't, I, I, don't I think, think that he could probably talk quarterbacking with Patrick Mahomes. That talking, be, that, that's fine. Just eavesdropping on them talking quarterbacking is different than an interview. Yeah, but you yeah. just like, Patrick, you got 12 minutes. We're just going to film you and Tom talking about That's fine. And then we'll fix it in post if we have to. But that's what I want him for. I want him for that access. I want him because of the people that he knows and the people that he might be able to bring mm-hmm. into a broadcast. Not for his game analysis of the 325 game every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's and when you got a guy that's that good that fast in Greg Olson, I don't know if you he needs to be bumped down to be your number two team. I, I think you found your guy for a long time if you want. Our guy Ron Hughley is going to join us next, talk a little bit about the Chiefs and what's going on with the Texans. We always like talking to him, so we'll do so next on The Score.